You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. These are exciting days to be at uh, Gospelite, and uh, I'm thrilled to be able to share with you this second message in a mini series. So we're done after today with this with this particular series. But uh, it's two verses, maybe three verses in Galatians chapter 6. So uh, we're, we're getting a lot of truth from a small portion of Scripture. Does anybody need a worship guide in the building? And if you do, just keep your hand up, and our ushers are ready to give you one anywhere and everywhere that, that may need one. We're learning over these past couple of weeks the consequences of sowing and reaping. And we're learning that from one passage of Scripture. In fact... The foundation of everything we as a church family are learning together in God's Word is from Galatians 6, 7, 8, and 9. And so I want to take just a moment and review those verses. All right, let's just begin with that statement, do not be deceived. Let's be reminded today, as we, as we talked about last week, that there's a reason why God put those words there. Do not be deceived. Why? Because we are so easily deceived. It seems as if we all at times, and I know that I do, fall into some sort of a pattern of thinking potentially that, you know, this is not going to affect my life, that that this is not going to come back and, and bite me or hurt me, and that, you know, maybe I'll get away with. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Secondly, we find that God will never, ever be made to look like an idiot. Period. That's not going to happen. So don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For who, for whatsoever one sows, that will he also reap. So we've taken that word sow. We've used the word plant in our series. We've taken that word reap, and we've decided to use that word harvest. We heard it in one of our worship songs a moment ago. Uh, you know, summer and uh, winter and springtime and what? Harvest. So there's a harvest that is coming. That harvest could be good. Or it could be bad. So whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And then it says, for the one who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. That word corruption is another word for death. And that's not necessarily just speaking about death in terms of of, of eternal death. But it's speaking of even death in this life. A life that, that, that is lived in such a way because it was lived for the flesh, it produces corruption. Death now and eternal death later. But there's some good news. It also says that if we reap uh, of the Spirit, we will of the Spirit reap what? Eternal life. And what's exciting about that is that it's not just talking about eternal life forever in eternity, but life beginning at the moment that you trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. There is a joy. There is a life that God calls an abundant life that begins now. So it's life now and eternal life later. If we were to go a step further and look at what Scripture says in a previous chapter, in other words, we're in chapter 6 of Galatians, so if we backed up to chapter 5, we would get some really detailed information about the flesh. It says in Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 19, that the works of the flesh are evident. That word evident just simply means this. They're obvious. They're very clear. And they are works of the flesh like sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, 
enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Not, not, now listen, when that word do is used, let's remember that, that a better translation might be those who practice these things, those who have a pattern in their lives. I understand that all of us could be guilty of some one of these things at some point. But if it's a practice, if it's a pattern in your life, these works of the flesh will reap corruption, eternal death. Not now, not only now, but in eternity. But then also, encouragingly enough, Galatians chapter 5, the very next verse says, wait a minute, but what about the Spirit? The Spirit is this. It is love. It is joy. It's peace. It's patience. It's kindness. If you sow these things, if you plant these things, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness into my marriage, self-control with my children, these things produce an entirely different harvest. And so Scripture is very clear in giving us the works of the flesh and the fruits of the Spirit. So that, my friends, is the text. That's the text. Thus saith the Lord. Now, just in case there's anybody here wondering if I like to hear the sound of my own voice, and the only reason I'm up here speaking is because I get to do this a couple of times every Sunday, and I, and I really just want to entertain you and make you laugh a little bit and have a good time and walk out with a few good illustrations, just in case anyone would mistakenly think that I, I want you to know that my expectations for these messages are much higher than that. I believe that as a pastor, my expectation for us in this two-week series is that we would hear the Word of God and exercise our faith towards it. That it would not just be words that fall on deaf ears, but that our expectation would be that we would consider the truth that we would understand that this is what God is saying. And we're going to use a lot of scripture this morning, lest someone think that it is just the voice of a man. God has much to say here. And we, the essence of this message is found really in this statement on the screen, in the first statement in your notes, that if I plant obedience to God's word, I will harvest a blessing. But if I plant disobedience in regards to God's word, I will harvest judgment. And you know, sometimes when we say that word judgment, I think we automatically go to this severe lightning rod out of heaven, strike me and I fall to the ground. And no, no, it's judgment in our daily lives. It is a process that we begin to sow to the flesh. And it's a process that doesn't always, it's not always seen immediately in the form of a lightning bolt, but it can happen over time and become very, very destructive. And so I want you to pay close attention to that statement because if we could say that all together, I think it would really settle in. So can we do that for just a moment? Everyone together, you ready? One, two, three. If I plant obedience to God's word, I will harvest blessing. If I plant disobedience to God's word, right. So let's take, pay attention. Let's, let's just give you some examples of laws in scripture. Let's start with that one. The law of scripture. Is there any thing today we can learn from the word of God that if we take time to put God's word in our hearts, 
if you and I take time to really take God's word seriously, will it make a difference? Well, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter number 2 and verse 2, like newborn babes, long, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it, here's what will happen. If you long for it, if you desire it, what will happen is you will grow. It's inevitable. It's the law of scripture. And so when I take time, and by the way, thank you for being here this morning. Every one of you, thank you. You have no idea how much it says about your desire, your heart, by just being here this morning. There is something that brought you here this morning. It wasn't just the person that invited you. We already discussed last week, it's not random. It's not luck. It's not, yeah, I'm just kind of here, so I thought I'd come and check it out, you know. No, 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 no. This is a God thing. You're here today as a God-appointed thing. And I'm convinced that because you're here, God has a word for you. And it's not just for this moment. It's going to be beyond this. And if you make the choice to pick up God's word yourself every day and feed on it and memorize it and meditate upon it, I want to tell you this morning, it's going to harvest a blessing in your life. It will. It just will. It's the law of Scripture. And the more we spend time in God's Word, that's why small groups are great and Bible studies are great. And little small devotionals that you guys read. My wife has all these devotional books. It's fantastic, honey. That's good stuff. Just, it may just take you five minutes or three minutes or even a minute to read. It's all good. One verse is better than nothing. I mean, it will harvest something in your life. God's Word. It's the law of Scripture. Number two, the law about worship. You know, the Bible speaks of several things in the Ten Commandments, which all of us are very familiar with. So I decided to take a passage from the Ten Commandments that deals with the law of worship. And it says this, You shall have no other gods, and here's the kicker, here's the key, before me. God says, here's the law of worship. I want to be first. You know, I find that myself oftentimes writing you a birthday card or on your anniversary card, or especially to your children. I focus strongly to the children with these words when I write you a personal card and every member gets a, per, a personal birthday card from me and or you should if you don't we don't have your birthday and that's odd and uh, I, I love writing these cards and oftentimes I'll put keep Jesus first keep Jesus first because God is worthy of being first in our lives he's worthy of that that's why we talk about bringing the first fruits of our income. And, and that's why we give him the first day of the week. And there's so many other things in Scripture that indicate he is worthy of first place. God wants our worship because you and I were created to express it. And that's where our joy is found. It is found in worshiping and, and, and honoring our great God. Putting God first in our lives, putting God first in our marriage, as was mentioned earlier in the testimony, putting God first in our finances, putting God first in our family. Why? He's worthy. He's worthy. He is worthy. It's the law of worship. And then there's the law about parenting. It's interesting, but God has a law about parenting. And there's several passages, but I'll go to one here that's interesting, and I think it's especially helpful. Proverbs 19, 18, God says this to parents. Discipline your son or your child for there is hope. The rest of that verse even says to spare not because of his crying. In other words, while there is hope, invest in training and disciplining your children. That's, that's quite a statement. Can I just stop here and say this for a moment? It's hard to be a parent. It's time consuming. I mean, to take time to enforce the rules, to discipline your children. 
Pick up the toys, all of them. You're not going to leave the toys on the ground. We're going to pick those toys up. And I'm going to stay here till they're all done right now. And the whining and the complaining, right? But you stay at it. And boy, I tell you, it's not easy and it's time consuming, but you stay at it. Why? Because you know, if you'll take care of it at six or seven, you won't have to worry about when they're 17, them looking at you and saying, you know, I don't give a rip what you say. I'm out of here. It's worth it. While there's hope, take the time to discipline, to influence. James Dobson says, when you encounter your child's will, win and win decisively. Don't just win, but win decisively. That's exhausting. That's tiring. I mean, yeah, especially when it's in the middle of your favorite television show or the conversation or the text messaging that the devil always seems to put something in our lives and our kids are acting up at the worst time, right? But I can assure you, when you take the time to invest in them while there's hope, you'll reap a harvest of blessing. And then there's the law about marriage. I say this, men, first to you in Ephesians 5, 33. And, 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 and how could we not embrace this? However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Really, how are we doing with that, guys? I mean, are we really loving our wives as well as we're loving ourselves, taking care of ourselves, making sure that, you know, things kind of go the way we want them to go and, and that, you know, we have what we need and, and, and our little, you know, our little favorites are taking care of, I mean, on and on I could go about, because I know I sure love myself and want to, you know, I enjoy things in my life and I want to make sure that this happens and that happens. And am I loving my wife? Am I preferring her over my own desires and needs? And then wives, the Bible says in first Peter three, and there's so much more than this, but again, just the law about marriage speaks specifically about a wife who is submissive or respectful to her husband. So that even if someone is disobedient to the word, he would be won by your chaste conversation or your behavior. Another translation uses the word conduct or respect. And for some reason, this combination that God gives when a husband truly loves his wife as himself and a wife truly respects her husband, for some reason, that combination is a recipe for a harvest of blessing. And God has that for all of us here today if we choose. And then there's the law about work. In 2 Thessalonians 3.10, it says, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command that if anyone is not willing to work, here's the law about work. If he's, if he's not willing to work, if he can work, but he doesn't work, let him starve. Neither let him eat. It's the law about work. And thank God for the scripture's clear teaching on giving and supporting those who are in genuine hardship. Amen. Let's say amen right there too. Because our church should be investing in those, giving to those, feeding those, helping those who are in genuine hardship distress and hardship. We should help those in genuine need. But if you could work and you won't work, the Bible says you should starve. Listen, praise God for an opportunity to work. Amen. Praise God for an opportunity to work and get a job. And, 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 and that is an awesome gift. That's an awesome thing. And God says, there is a law about that. And then there's a law about materialism. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10, just the first part of the verse reminds us that we need to beware of this thing called the love of money because it's the root of all kinds of evil. 
Now, let me make sure we understand, as I always do when I quote this verse five, six times a year, I want to remind everybody that money is not wrong. It's not wrong, but don't love it or think it brings happiness. Don't feel that you can throw money at a situation and that ought to solve it. Money does not bring happiness. In fact, the love of it is the roots of all kinds of evil. It produces evil when we love it and we have it prioritized in a way that is unhealthy in our families. If we were to read the rest of that verse, it would go like this on the screen. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, which some reaching after have been led astray from the faith and they've pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Not just one or two, but many sorrows. Then there's the law about speech. In first, rather, uh, Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, because it gives grace to those who hear. My wife is really big on this. Oh, man, she, she, she's, she took uh, three little... Bowls of rice. I'll tell you a rice story, honey. Is that okay? Did you pour, put a little water on each one of the rice? Yeah. So she got a little bowl of rice. True story. And she poured a little water on each one of the rices. And she take this bowl of rice, and here's what she do. We thought she was crazy. How long did you do it again? Seven days. For seven days, she told this bowl of rice, I hate you. You're disgusting. You're awful. I hate you, rice. You're the worst bowl of rice that's ever been created. And she wouldn't cuss, but she'd come close. And then she'd look at this bowl of rice and she'd say, but I love you. I love everything about you. You're the most beautiful bowl of rice I've ever seen. Talk in a different tone. I thought she was crazy. You think this is a crazy illustration? She'd go over to this bowl of rice and she'd just look at it and say nothing. She did that for seven days. After seven days, the rice, the bowl of rice that was getting cussed out in, in, in Christian talk, um, <laughs> it, 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 it turned all yellowy and disgusting looking and brown and moldy. And it was, it was filthy. It was bad. The bowl of rice that she praised was not affected at all. It was just, it looked like the bowl of rice. It looked like rice. It looked like rice that had so much potential to become a delicious bowl of rice. And then the bowl that she ignored actually had a stench that we could not handle after seven days and told Carol Ann, illustration over, we're about to croak. You got to take this rice out. Let me ask you a question. If rice is affected by our conversation, I wonder how much our spouses are. I wonder how much our children are by the way we talk. You see, corrupt communication coming out of our mouth will harvest something. It'll harvest something. Something will come from that. We must understand that when we open our mouth, we are sowing every time. If I were to ask you, if I were to alarm you this morning and put fear in you and say, Adam, we're going to put on the screen the last 50,000 words that's come out of your mouth. (laughs) Or what about if we just said, you know, Mark, we're just going to put the words on the screen from the conversation with your wife on the way to church. That's all. (laughs) I'm using good guys and guys that won't quit the church because I said that, right? Okay, good. Okay. And got to be careful. I kind of thought, is Adam and I good? Okay, okay, good. All right. I'm joking. The truth of the matter is, is I don't know that I'd want the last 50,000 words that I have said. I need to think for just a moment point being this is that we must be so careful that what we say is building people up. It's encouraging people. There's a law about speech and there it is. There's the law about conflict. In Matthew 18, 15, 
If your brother sins against you, if you've got a conflict with your brother, go and tell him and make it between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, I've got some really good news. You will gain your brother back. What a great way to reap a harvest of blessing and restoration in in a relationship. Think about it. That in itself is a phenomenal thing to live your life by. So if my spouse offends me, I, I should go to her and I should, I should invest some time in resolving the conflict and I'll gain my wife. If my, children, if, if my children have offended me, I need to go to them and work it out. Have a conversation. Take the time to, to work things out and then I've gained my children. If my coworker that I work with and I have some tension at work, if I'll just take some time, maybe at lunch or if you got a few minutes, we could talk. Let's get a cup of coffee after. Just work, just invest in that, work it out. Hey, I'm a little concerned about this. You said this, I didn't quite understand. And just work it out. I've gained my coworker. You see, God has a law of resolving conflict. But when we ignore it, when we pay no attention to it, we find ourselves reaping the consequences of bitterness and unforgiveness in conflict with no resolution. And then there's a law about forgiveness. Colossians 3.13 says, Bearing one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So, I guess the best way to figure that one out is to ask everybody in this room, how many of you have been forgiven by the Lord? Raise your hand. If you're all right with that, admit that. Okay, good. I think that's almost everybody. I, I, well, if we've all been forgiven by the Lord, guess what? We, we need to forgive everyone every time. You see, we've been forgiven and we need to forgive. I wonder how many unforgivenesses are present in this room this morning. Then there's the law about salvation. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 11 and 12, it says, This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Oh, listen, don't go seeking salvation any other way. I can assure you, you can't find it in your works and your deeds and trying to be good or trying to, you know, just make sure that you're playing the balancing act of, 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 of salvation acquired by works and good deeds. That's not going to work. Salvation is only through the Son of God. He paid the penalty of, for your sins on the cross when he died and shed his blood. And the only way to God is through Jesus Christ and him alone. Nothing else. That's the law about salvation. How clear is that? So if I sow obedience into God's laws, I'm going to reap the consequences of that. But if I sow disobedience into those 10 laws, I'm going to reap the consequences of my disobedience. And so let's quickly now go through these seven laws of the harvest. And I'll be quick. I'm going to review the first three and then give you the last four and we'll be done. Number one, we harvest only what has been planted. Seems so simple. Seems as if we should... We should accept that and know that. And sure, preacher, yeah, I get it. I mean, if you're talking about farming, who doesn't know that? But we're not talking about farming. That's just the illustration, right? We're talking about your life, your marriage, your, your parenting, your finances, your relationship with others, your relationship with the Lord. We're talking about you and I living our lives out and, and being able to harvest blessing rather than judgment or evil. So you harvest only what you plant. Number two, we harvest the same kind 
as we plant. The same in kind. For instance, here's how the world would put it, and I'm just going to see how well you know how the world would put it. I think we'll do well with this question. I'm going to ask you to finish this sentence, if you would, just at least lift your voices and finish this sentence. Ready? What goes around? Well done. Well done. That's found in Philippians. No, it's not. That's just on the streets, folks. That's just in the hood. That's just kind of what people say, right? That's what the newscaster says. That's what just people say. That's what you say. That's what I hear. I tell you what. We see somebody doing something bad, it's going to come back. It's going to come back to them. I can get away with that. What goes around comes around. The scripture. What you sow, you're going to reap. What you plant, you're going to harvest. What goes around comes around. We harvest the same in kind as we plant. It's true. And then thirdly, we harvest in a different season than we plant. And we put an emphasis there on that's why we must understand the words do not be deceived. I encouraged last week our high school students and our college students to listen up because be sure your sins will find you out, Scripture says in Numbers 32, verse 23. Be sure your sins will find you out. It's like little Johnny, right? He goes home one day with his buds, and there's a watermelon on the counter. He looks at his mother, and he says, hey, Mom, can we have that watermelon? Mom says, no, that's for dinner. Mom slips out to run an errand, and Johnny and his boys kind of get together and say, man, I'm, I really want that watermelon. So they take it outside. They crash it on the concrete, break it in pieces, and start eating that watermelon. They're having a blast until Johnny realizes mom's coming home. So guess what? We got to hide our sin. So we dig a few holes in the backyard, right? And plant, just cover up that watermelon. Mom comes home and she says to Johnny the same thing you'd say to your kid. Hey, where's the watermelon? And Johnny says the same thing your kid might say. Oh. Johnny goes to bed that night. Man, he is. He's not doing well. He's dreaming about watermelon. He's scared his mom's going to find out. He's tossing and turning from the guilt of hiding that watermelon. But you know what? After a while, he kind of gets past it. Nobody says anything. And a day goes by and a week goes by and a month goes by. By the way, this is coming straight to you from age 14 in Sunday school. All of a sudden, maybe a year goes by and, or a few months go by and Johnny and his parents are in the backyard, they're walking around and, man, here are all these watermelons coming out of the ground. And Johnny's parents say, Johnny, what, what, what is all this? Johnny realizes you harvest in a different season you plant. He probably didn't realize it like that. But he realizes his sins found him out. Mama, I stole the watermelon. You see, we're not going to get away with our sin. Neither are we going to get away from God's blessings when we harvest good things. And so we must understand these are the laws of the harvest. Number four, here's something new. Are you ready? We harvest more than we plant. That's God's part. Amen. That's, that's God's part. And that's how farming works. That's why God used farming as an example here. Take this tomato, this tomato. Amen. By the way, good, good job, honey. This is a good, we're going to have this for lunch today, I think. And, uh, Here's a beautiful tomato. Now, I'm not going to bite into this tomato. I like them enough probably to do it. But if I did, I'll guarantee you, how many seeds are inside this? It's one tomato, but how many seeds are in it? A kajillion seeds, okay? There's a lot of seeds in this tomato. We, we harvest more than we plant. It's the same in the spiritual realm. We harvest more than we plant, and God makes 
sure of it. He makes sure of it. Now, that can be negative, but it can also be very positive. Last Christmas, usually we try to go to an NBA game. My boys and I, we love love basketball. So my daughter's favorite team, until they lost Russell Westbrook, was Oklahoma City. So we went to Oklahoma City. I think it was Mo and Ezekiel, right? And so we go up to Oklahoma City, and we're going to watch the uh, the, uh, Thunder play. But we go a day early so we can go to the Oklahoma City bombing memorial. I'd never been, but I'd always wanted to go. I'd read great reviews on it, that it's an amazing memorial, and it's so well done and laid out, and the story is told in such great, uh, you know, specifically. So we went. And it's not super expensive, but it's worth every dime you'll spend on each ticket. You can spend up to eight hours in there and still not see and read everything. We probably spent four. We went through and saw little Timothy McVeigh when he was a little boy. Some of the things that were planted as he grew up and decided to go into the army and got a dishonorable discharge from the army. And in that moment, he began to develop a hatred towards America and towards government. And that hatred turned into bitterness. He became a loner, self-absorbed. He became, the country became an enemy of himself. And we began to go through this process and walk through the entire life of Timothy McVeigh until we came to the place where he parked the moving truck full of thousands of pounds of explosives in front of a building. And we look at that and think that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Why would anybody do something? This is out of control to blow up a building, to kill so many people, babies, little babies that were in a nursery while their parents worked in that building. It was devastating. And you look at the horror and the lives that were snuffed and taken out. How did it get that way? You harvest more than you plant. You see, it started years ago. And it never, ever ends up being less. It's always more. And it's always comes to a place where it gets out of control. That's why, can I confess, as a pastor, the hardest thing I deal with is watching a young person make four or five bad choices and spend the rest of their life dealing with them. It's a killer. I mean, honestly, if I dwelt on that, it's enough to make you want to resign the ministry And go work somewhere else. So hard to see that. So frustrating. Just like, no, 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 no. It's not going to work out well. It's not going to go well. That's it. No, 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 no. Listen, listen. Listen to what God said. No, no. Listen to what your youth pastor said. That's not going to work out well. Please. We must understand these things. We harvest more than we plant. And that's why we have a church that's not afraid to warn people. We're not afraid to do that. I don't think this is not about me pulling the wool over your eyes or being as deceptive as Satan is. This is about somebody being honest and truthful and warning you about what the Word of God says. But there's also a very positive way to look at this. There's others that have made choices that that although they made some bad choices along the way, like I have, like many of you have, but but yet we dealt with those choices and we 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 made good choices on top of bad choices. Amen. I mean, that's, that's, that's a good thing. We're all made, anybody here made all good choices in your life? Not me. I've made some bad, this week I made a few bad choices. I'll probably close with one of those, all right? But can I tell you something? That bad choice has already had a, a good thing planted on top of it. So it, it's not, it's not going to reap 
evil blessing, evil things in my life. What am I saying? I'm saying we harvest more than we plant. Number five, we harvest in proportion as we plant. That especially can be a very positive thing. We harvest in proportion as we plant. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, let me tell you something about gardening. Much tilling, much weeding, much work, much watering, much planting produces much harvest. But it takes a lot of work. A lot of work. That's why they call this church planting. Right? Right, Scott? You're going to go to Thailand and either plant a church or uh, you're going to help a church planter over there. Or the North American Mission Board, which we've become so fond of. Plants church through the Southern Baptist Convention. Invests uh, thousands upon tens of thousands of dollars in church plants. This, my friends, 27 years ago, was a church plant. It was a couple of guys from California that moved to Arkansas. Actually, we were in California when we came here. We're both from New Orleans. But we came from California, across the country. We planted this little church in a pretty rotten hood, right? Tough neighborhood. And we just planted. And we loved people. And we tilled. And we worked. And we grew. And God blessed. But then something very hard began to happen. People began to leave. Different reasons. You know, folks would leave. One of the hardest things to do is to, is to watch what you've planted, you know, some of those folks begin to leave. And so God gave me a wonderful illustration this week. I didn't have this until this week. I didn't have it until the last seven days. I wrote down a list of names that I've talked to this week. This will mean a lot to some and not as much to others, but I think you'll still get the example by listening. Brett Capace called me this week. That's my brother who planted the church with me, who's in Vegas now in another church. Clint Fredericks called me, our former uh, college basketball coach and athletic director. Chantha Chim called me. Matt Thistle called me. And Mike Bowie called me all this week. Those are five names of incredible people that when they left this church, a gaping hole was left. A gaping hole. Like when they left, I was like crying. You were crying if you were here. These were key people who God brought here and then they left. And it was hard when they left. But all five of these people this week, Brett called me about three days ago and said, Eric, I just want to tell you, I'm here in Vegas, planted that church Liberate. Now we're over at Shadow Hills. And I don't know where I would be right now had not I been at Gospel Light, planted that church, saw it grow, saw you go through difficult times because we're going through the same difficult times here. But I know how to handle it because I've been there. Clint Frederick texted me and he was preaching to 500 people at a youth meeting and he said, I'm here. He gave me a picture of this big, huge auditorium full of young people. He said, I'm standing in front of 500 young people preaching God's word because I was there. And I learned how to do this. Jonathan Chim called me yesterday. I was going to get my hair cut. Can you tell? You're probably wondering, why do you even get a haircut? You know, I get it. Well, I got one. All right. And, uh, Jonathan called me, I was, I, I, I was actually sitting in my vehicle in front of the haircut place, talking to him, watching people go in and get crowded and think, man, I wouldn't have to wait if he wouldn't have called. But I'm glad he did. I'm glad I talked to him for 30, 45 minutes as he said to me, man, we're going through some really tough waters here in Florida. We're going through some struggles and the church is really having some difficulties and I'm not sure how this is all going to work out. I just wanted to call you and thank you that when you went through difficulties there, it taught me a lot about how to go through these things. And, and however... However it ends up, I just know I'm going to be okay because I saw God help you. And then Matt Thistle called me yesterday afternoon. And Matt just said, man, God's really dealing with you right now. Maybe, you know, I don't know, might start a church, might go past. I'm just kind of working through some things. He said, but I just want to let you know 
that while I've been here at this church in Indiana, he said, if you ever visit this church, Eric, what you'll see is a lot of gospel light here. Because when I left, the greatest thing I left with was things I learned and experienced at that church. And Mike Bowie, we're going to go preach for him next week. My wife and I, Mike's a champion graduate. He's in Honolulu preaching, pastoring a church, started it, planted it with like five people. We'll preach to 200 people there as we do every year to his great congregation. He asked me to bring over materials to teach his deacons how to be deacons, his elders, how to be elders. And we're going to bring these materials and help pour into Mike. But Mike told me, he said, preacher, I'm just doing what I learned while I was there. Think about it. Leading our youth, a champion graduate. Leading our school, a champion graduate. Leading our children, a champion graduate. Leading our worship, a champion graduate. Leading our school, a champion graduate. Teachers, Leah Childers, Lauren Hoffman, Libby, I could go on and on and on. Church, listen to me. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying I haven't heard. Some, I, know, I know we're all thinking, how much longer are Scott and Christy going to be here? I don't know, but I, I'm, I know this. I'm so excited about them going back to Thailand. Not because I'm not going to miss them. Not because I want them to leave because I don't love them. No, but because I know that God brought them here for a season. But, it, but God... Forgive us if we think that we need to be praying, oh God, don't let them go back. God forbid, don't let Satan use you like that. We ought to be praying, let's, let's help Scott and Christy get to Thailand. Let's do everything we can to get them right where they need to be. And then let's be thankful that for three or four years, in their own words, they don't know where they'd be had, that, had they not come here and had this place to invest in them and make it possible for them to go back to Thailand and to impact another world, another country for Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. It's hard work. It's sacrifice. I mean, giving to missions every week. We haven't even talked about that in a while. But how important is that? And as we see our budget descend, my fear is just that we don't see the big picture. Giving to missions is about planting in the world and seeing people saved, not just in Hot Springs, not just right there in that baptistry. Not that the baptistry saves, but the baptistry is a testimony that people are getting saved. Amen all over the world because of missions. It's incredible. We harvest in proportion as we plant. Number six, we harvest the crop of good only if we persevere. That's why our worship leader today said we're going to talk a little bit about persevering. Scripture says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9, if we have that verse for the screen, it says, and let us not grow weary of doing good. Don't grow weary of doing good. You say, yeah, I'm just tired of it. I'm I just keep doing it. I'm not really seeing anything. I don't see any blessings from it. I'm just, you know, working over there in that nursery and working in the bus ministry or I'm giving my time at Celebrate Recovery or, or whatever. And I just don't know that I'm seeing the results. Let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season. We will reap if we do not give up. Amen. Don't give up. Hang in there. Hang in there. Stay at it. You don't have to work to have weeds in your garden. Just ignore your garden and you'll have a bunch of weeds. And you don't have to work to have weeds in your marriage. Just ignore it. And they'll grow up and choke your marriage out. You don't have to work to have weeds in your relationships. Just ignore them. You don't have to grow up. or, or You don't have to uh, uh, Work to have rebellion in your home. Just ignore your children. Don't spend any time with them. Just leave them to themselves and watch what happens. You see, evil comes to harvest on its own. Evil comes to harvest on its own. 
Do nothing and you harvest evil. You have to work for the good. You have to work for it. You have to wait for the good. You see, you work and you labor and you till and you plant and then you wait. You wait. They that sow in tears will reap in joy. Don't give up. Don't neglect. I wonder what would happen if I just told my wife, well, I'm not going to come home next week, honey. God bless you. Hope it all works out for you. Take care of the kids. Where are you going? I ain't telling you. Do what I want to do for a while. You get over for a week. I'll be good. I'm just going to have a good time. I'll, I'll see you in a week. One week of neglect to my marriage could bring great destruction to it. I said to my kids, I'm not going to, you guys do whatever you want for the next month. I could care less. I'm taking a break from parenting. Tired of this. Takes too much time. You guys are a pain. I'm just tired of talking to you. I'm tired of working with you. I'm tired of feeding you. I'm just tired of it. And so I'm taking a break. One month off, you guys figure it out. I'm going to be a casual Christian for a month. I'm going to hit and miss church. I tell you what, I'm going to hold back my tithe for a month. Let the church pay its own bills. They'll figure it out. I mean, these lights, I, look, I guess, I don't know. They're on today. I guess I'm just going to take a, take a month off. I'm just going to do my own thing. I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to go to small group. I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to give. I'm going to, I'm going to, for one month, I'm going to be a casual Christian. See how that works out for me. You can't neglect these things. It takes work. It takes effort. You can't stop. You've got to persevere. Keep going. God will honor and bless you for not giving up. Hang in there. And then finally, last principle, and we're done. There is nothing we can do about last year's harvest, but we can do something about this year's harvest. Amen? Nothing we can do about last year's harvest. Listen, sometimes we have a drought. Sometimes we have a drought season, don't we? Anybody ever had a flood season? I mean, just where just, you know, we kind of lost the crop that year. It just didn't work out and things didn't go so well. And I can't do anything about that. But the next harvest is coming. Spring is coming and, and, and I, I can plant and, and I can work. And, t- and then fall will come. The harvest will come. But for now, I've got to put the past behind me. And I've got to start over. In fact, I need to plant some good things on top of some bad decisions. And I know that if I'll do that, it could be a turning point for my life. I can't do anything about last year's harvest, but I can start to make good choices now. Every one of us, including this pastor, has made choices that I regret. I regret. I really do. But I can't do anything about them. So I got to start today. Even this week, my wife and I got in a little spat. Right, honey? On the way to the ice cream store? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Was it on the way back? Yeah, that's true. I remember because we were, we were, I remember saying this while I was eating my ice cream. I'm trying to enjoy my ice cream. <laughs> I did. I said that. I was like, come on. I can't even enjoy my ice cream. Leave it alone. It was so funny as we laughed because <laughs> Glorianne's always in the car with us. <laughs> you know, you can't argue in front of, you know, Chloe and so, you know, because, you know, when, when, you know, when argue in front of them, right? Gloria, man, she knows everything about us. <laughs> when we get to heaven, she's going to say, yeah, you guys had no clue how much I understood. <laughs> By the way, if you're new, Gloria is my special needs daughter that everybody loves, but we all probably don't have a clue how smart she really is. But anyway, so we're having this little spat, you know, and we're both, she's, she's got her cafe latte 
ice cream and I've got my banana ice cream, which makes me really happy, by the way. Super happy. <laughs> Unless I'm in an argument with my wife. <laughs> and then it's like a waste of money. <laughs> if you had told me before we were going to fight, I would have bought the stupid ice cream. <laughs> but anyway, so we're having this little spat, you know. And <clears throat> I'm kind of like Travis right now. I'm going to brag on my wife, you know. And so, you know, when you get to the house, you got to stop fighting, right? Because you're going back in the house now. So, you know, so we stopped. We got back in the house. Everything's normal, you know, walking. Hey, kids, how you doing? Hey, it's okay. Love you, you know. Love you, honey. Yeah, everything's cool. And so, uh, but then when you get to the bedroom, and you lay down in the bed, and your wife says, you know, you're not going to sleep right now, are you? No, you're not. I mean, we're, not, we're, not, we're actually not going to not talk about that. Right? I mean, we're going to fix this problem, right? To make a long story short, we forgave each other. We planted some good talk and good communication over the bad. You know, when you keep short accounts with people and one another, and when you quickly make sure you water what has not been watered, it, it, it just quickly fades away and you work on things. You don't go, let the sun go down upon your anger. That's why it's there. So we got it worked out. We're, we're good now. I mean, right? Okay, good. <laughs> I hope so. I'll buy you some ice cream. Anyway, and uh, didn't work out last time, but hopefully this time. I'm telling you, church, here's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm simply saying this, that we all make bad choices. We all have a bad moment. But you know what? We can start planting good things. We can start making good choices, and everything can change. I am convinced that if we'll come to God with repentance and humility, everything can change. Let's bow our heads, shall we? With heads, heads bowed and eyes closed. At the, the, the little, and I hate to use the word tradition, but honestly, it's, it's probably one of the best things that we do here at Gospel Light is we close with three minutes, four minutes max of worship and music and Scripture. That's it. And then we're dismissed. And so we also ask two or three of our elders to come forward, and we are going to be standing up front. If you need someone to pray with you, hey, we're here. If you need to be saved, if you need to give your life to Christ, we're here. If you want to just pray in your seat, if this is a little bit more compatible to where you're at right now, and you need to come forward and maybe pray with someone, you, you do what God has called you to do. But we are going to pray and then stand and, and let God work for just a few moments. Father, I love you. I thank you, God, for the opportunity to share Galatians 6, 7, and 8 with our church family and verse 9. Lord, it's been a really good two weeks. God, we're on to something new next week. So I pray, God, that you take what we've discussed, that we would not just let it fall on deaf ears, but that, God, we would allow it to fall on very fertile hearts, hearts that are ready to grow and to receive your word. God, may this plant, this seed of your word, may it produce blessings in our lives as we obey. I love you, God, and I love this church and I love everybody in this room. I really do, because you love me and you've taught me how to love others. It's an amazing thing. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand?